because I'm at that stage of life that memory is very brief. <laughs> and so it's just nice to be able to look at and see smiling faces and remember those that weren't mad at me. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's good to share with you today and I trust that uh, the Lord would... I'm loud enough, it just, you don't need to jack it up there. So it is good to just share with you from the Word of God and consider it a tremendous privilege. And in your bulletin today you have sermon notes that look a little different uh, than what you normally have. It's a half sheet, so if your, your tendency is to throw out half sheets, you've just thrown out the sermon. So I just uh, wanted to remind you that. But as I say in most places where I speak, it's always good to have this because then you know when I'm almost done. It's always handy. But seriously, there are some application issues that we'd like you to address and think about, and that's provided for you at this particular time. Just make sure all these things are on, unless I forget. There you go. I don't know about you, but memory is an interesting thing, isn't it? I uh, constantly am saying to my wife, all right, Doris, I forgot. And then I'm saying, am I forgetting more than I used to forget? And of course, being the encourager that Doris is, she says, you never had a good memory. So that sort of uh, puts things in context. But it, it is true, living in a retirement community, uh, it seems like we, uh, we do have some issues with memory. I was with a person uh, on a bus trip not too long ago. We had been together all day. And uh, a day later, we were at a meeting together. Uh, we're on a board together. And uh, he started telling me about a bus trip he was just on. And, and so I thought, I'm not going to mention to him that he doesn't remember and embarrass him. So I started to do some prophetic things. He would start telling part of the story, and I'd finish it. <laughs> and he started looking at me, and then he'd go on. And, and then you probably, and I filled this in, and he looked at me again. And it, this went on for a little bit, and he said, were you on that bus trip? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, actually I was. So we do have issues with our memory, and, and that's, that's not a big surprise. Um, I, uh, is this, uh, no, if I go the right way, there we go. That's still not the right way. Our, uh, our topic for today is don't forget to remember. You know, I don't care what age you are. It seems like we all have problems with our memory. We tend to forget. I think it's interesting that the scripture says, and it challenges us, it says, do not forget. And it would be interesting how many times you find that in scripture. And I think sometimes we are prone to forget. And that's why God has to give us reminders. Remember, remember, remember. 
And today, that's what we want to do. We want to remember. I'm just going to stir up your minds by way of remembrance today. I'm sure this passage of Scripture is not a new one to you if you've read your Old Testament. Of course, Herb was concerned about my memory today. Um, Herb always is concerned about my memory. He said to me, Bob, he said, the passage you're speaking from is in the Old Testament. <laughs> so thanks for the reminder, Herb. Appreciate that. But before we get any further, let's just pray and ask God to capture our minds and lead us into truth, for that's what we want to do today. Our Father, we thank you that while our memories are poor, yours is perfect. You know all about us. You know our downsittings. You know our uprisings. You know everything about us. And even in light of the fact of all that you know about us, you do not forsake us. You remember us. To such an extent that you're, we're even written on your hands. And what a, a marvelous picture that is. And so, Lord, I'm asking this morning that as we come to reflect upon your word, I pray that you would stir up our minds by way of remembrance, but at the same time, you would cause us to reflect upon the things we remember and then look at the applications for our life. And I'm asking that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, that he would lead us and guide us into truth, and that we would be responsive to the things that we learn and ask that the Spirit of God would do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, have often said, this clicker is not clicking. <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, this is. This is me. I have a great memory, it's just short. And some of us are, are like that. We sometimes have those, those problems. We call them memory lapses. And, and I was always fearful when we had a, one professor in college, and he would come into class before we had our midterms or our final exams, and, and he would pray, and I hated his prayer. His, he said, and Lord, help them to remember the things they've studied. I often thought, that is a weird prayer. I want to remember the things I didn't study. <laughs> I, you know? Why would, you know, because I didn't study. And, and I, need, I needed to have this instant recall of things that were somewhere back there that I heard in class but I didn't remember. But it, it is interesting. There's several ways that I think we forget. But as I said, in a retirement community, it's, it's interesting how quickly we do forget. I guess that's why the cartoons that uh, make so much sense to me uh, are the pluggers. I don't know if any of you have ever looked at the pluggers. But the one plugger, uh, he, he makes this uh, statement. You're a plugger. If you pour a glass of water to take your memory vitamin supplement, then forget to take the pill. <laughs> now, you think about that. Some of you are there, why? Uh, or, or this one. The plugger walks into a grocery store and says, shoot, I forgot the list. What was I supposed to pick up? Coffee? Cookies? Ice cream? And then at the bottom it says there, the plugger may have a photographic memory, but it's out of film. <laughs> you know, it, isn't that the way it is often? We, we just want to remember, 
We assume we will remember, but most often we don't remember, and that can cause great problems. So what prides do uh, we have? Uh, am I going the wrong way on this thing? That's, I, I'm pressing everything. <laughs> okay. But uh, I couldn't remember from the last time I was here. <laughs> but think of some of the prides that help us to remember things. You know, uh, you know, all of us have certain prides that sort of, you know, bring back thoughts. Now, all of you have different prides. I don't know what those prides are. Uh, I'm always amazed at people when I look on Facebook and they say, this date, such and such, this is when mom, this is when dad, uh, this is when my husband, my wife uh, went to be with the Lord. And the pride for them is a date. That doesn't help me because I don't remember dates. <laughs> so what, what, what are the prides for me? Well, I carry my prides. Uh, this, this, is one, this is a pride. My wife will attest to this. We were just talking about it this week. She said, your watch is pretty old. I said, yeah, it's older than me, almost. No? And, uh, but the, uh, the band on this was given to me when I graduated from high school by my mother. And, and I wear it all the time. So my mom's on my left side, and it's a pride, and I look at it, and I remember mom. I, I'm a visual person, by the way. And so visuals make, help me remember things. But on this hand is a ring. And uh, this is my dad's ring. And uh, when he passed away, uh, it was in a collection of things that I was given by the funeral director. And the ring was there, and I put it on, and I've had it on for all these years. So those are the prods for me. I don't know what the prods are for you. But it is interesting that I think many times we do need prods to remember certain things. For example, uh, we just had Memorial Day, and that's a prod. And that's to remember those who died uh, serving our country. And a little bit later on, we're going to have another uh, day in, this, in the fall, and that's Memorial Day. Uh, not Memorial Day, but Veterans Day. And Veterans Day, we remember those who served. And my dad was very, very fussy about that. Because, you see, he was in World War II. He was in the Third Army with Patton. And he said there's a big difference between those two days. And he says, and I never want to forget it. And so each one of those days makes a big difference to him. He said, when in churches, when they say, the, on Memorial Day, they say, those who served, will you stand up? He says, I don't stand up. He says, that's not what the day is for. That's to remember those who died. And so he, he was very fussy. I'm not saying he was right, but I'm saying he was making a distinction. That was a prod for him. And for a man who had seen many men in his uh, part of the war die, it was very significant to him. So those are some memories. There are those secular memories. But God knows that we need other kinds of memories. Therefore, he gives us one that is stated very specifically. This do in remembrance of me. Two elements to help us remember. His blood and his body. 
And so I think we do need this. God knows us. He knows that we forget. And when we forget, there are consequences. And the consequences aren't always good. In fact, there's a statement by Robert Morgan. He said, God wants us to remember what he's done for us in the past. His past blessings are the encouragement in present trials. Think about that. His faithfulness in earlier days is the harbinger of his care now and in the future. Our help in ages past is our hope in years to come. Memories, they're pretty important. So what are we remembering about God? And are we consistent? Do we constantly remember things that we should remember about God? Or do we have spiritual amnesia? when it comes sometimes to the things of God. Well, today I'd like us to think about that because when we forget, we're too often setting ourselves up for disastrous consequences and we make foolish decisions as a result of that. And we need to be careful. Let me just give you a little bit of background as to what we're studying today since, as Herb reminded me, thank you, Herb, that we're in the Old Testament. And uh, it's, it's interesting, the, king, the kingdom is divided. Remember, it was united under David, it was united under Solomon, then after Solomon, there was a division. You have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And then after that, we have, uh, in the side of Judah, we have a couple of kings. We have Rehoboam and Abijah, and uh, they served. And then after this is the person we're studying today, he's the third king of Judah, his name is Asa. Asa's an interesting person. Uh, he did get a little bit from his father, but not necessarily good things from his father. Um, we find out that um, Asa started out well, but then he made some decisions. He forgot, and when he forgot, he became foolish. And that's not my estimation of him. That's God's estimation of him. That's what the prophet said to him. We see that in in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, in verse 9, the prophet of the Lord says to him, you have done foolishly. Why did he do things foolishly? It's because he forgot. He should have known better, but he didn't. And this third king of Judah's father, as you see on the chart there, uh, his father's heart was not loyal to the Lord, it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 3. And it resulted in walking in the sins of his father, which was Rehoboam, because Rehoboam didn't remember and that he had done before him. Yet there were glimpses, even in Abijah's life, displaying how to stand for God. And so that was good. And Asa picked up some of those things, even as he picked up some of the things he should not have done. And it says about him, the children of Israel, there were glimpses of his father's life, but Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord, their father, at times, at times. And you see that in chapter 13 and verse 8. But at times, they forgot him. And I think that as I was studying this portion of scripture, that's the thing I wanted to take away from me. I wanted to, to recall the fact that there are times I do remember what I'm supposed to remember in terms of spiritual things. But the disaster is that there are times that I forget. 
times when I should be focusing upon what I know is true, but I forget the things that are true. And when I do that, I fall into some foolish practices. So this morning, I'd like to just uh, spend a moment focusing upon this thought, that foolishness often comes from forgetfulness. Or as I put it here, forgetfulness often leads to foolishness. So what foolish things are you doing because you've forgotten spiritual truths, lessons that God has given you in the past, and now, as a result of this, you're involved in some things that just don't make sense, that are just not what God wants you to do. Well, I'm going to be just sharing with you some principles, some observations, and basically there's just five, and you see them on your, your list there that's in your notes. And the first thing I want you to understand in this is the fact that there is great potential. Asa start off with great potential. I love this. Look what it says there. Chapter 14, verses 2 through 7. And Asa did that was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. But remember, he had a father that had set some poor examples. But there were those glimpses, those bright glimpses of times where he, he still had the understanding of what was right, but he forgot them from time to time. And so how do we know it, this, it was good? Because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What an interesting statement. And the evidence of that is seen in verses 3 through 5. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, their God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. And he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. You know, isn't that interesting there? The general tone of his reign is described there in verse 2. Very succinct, isn't it? He did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he was not necessarily influenced by the northern tribes, which were totally ungodly. But, and he wasn't totally influenced by some of the bad things that his father had done, but he was influenced by the fact, what does the Lord want? That's a good thing to remember, by the way, isn't it? To keep focused upon that which is right. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that focuses upon not necessarily that which is right, but that which is expedient. What is everybody else thinking? That's not the way to go. And so here he's, his general tone, and he did what was good and right. And the specific actions grew out of that, that desire. And it says that he dismantled the vestiges of paganism. They see it in verses 3 and 5. These are the leftovers from Solomon. Remember, Solomon forgot, and he followed after false gods that his wives had influenced him in. We find out that Rehoboam did a similar thing. He learned some poor lessons from his father. Abijah learned some poor lessons from his father. And so here he's making a break. And he's coming and he says, no, we're going we're gonna to listen to something different. In other words, he's coming along and he starts his reign the right way. Great potential. And Asa is a man who, using that phrase that you sometimes have heard, he's marching to the beat of a different drummer. Everybody else may be following this beat, but I'm going to follow something different. 
and he takes some actions. And these actions were interesting. He not only got rid of some things, he divested these, this paganism issues, but then he elevated the word of God. He put something in place that was necessary. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law. You see, the problem is that oftentimes we think it's enough to get rid of something, but then we leave a void. And when we leave that void, what comes into that void? Well, sometimes it can be worse things. As a matter of fact, didn't Jesus talk about that? Didn't Jesus talk about those that cast out demons? And when they cast out these demons, if they don't replace it with the right things, what happens? Uh, matters get worse. And so here is what's happening here. And there's a, a result of this, there's national blessing. There's rest on every side. It says that in verse 6. It says that in verse 7. He gave them rest. Why? Verse 7 makes it very clear. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So the result of that is so that they built and they prospered. Hmm. Built and prospered. No war. Interesting description as to what is happening in the land. The land is at rest. The Lord has given us rest, verse 6. And I would suggest to you today, when you remember the Lord, the end result of that is rest. Don't we need rest in our lives? Don't we need rest in our nation? Don't we need rest in our world? Well, the only solution to that is you need to be involved in doing exactly what he did. Doing that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. What would the Lord have us to do? But I'm reminded as I look at this first point, potential does not mean that there will be permanence. You might have potential, but is that going to be a lasting potential? Is it really going to make a continued difference? The thing I used to hate when I was in school is to have a teacher that would write on a report card, Bobby does not live up to his potential. And my mother one time said to me, what do you think they mean? I said, well, it, it means I'm not as bad as I could be. <laughs> I, I, I sort of didn't get it, did I? Uh, but is, isn't, it, isn't it interesting we often think that everything's going to be okay because things start off well? You know, some people go back and they look at our nation and they say, well, look at our nation. It was built on blah, 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 blah. And they list all these things it's built upon. And, you know, many of these things are true. Some are, are a little bit exaggerated. But, yeah, we understand. But that doesn't mean that that's going to be a guarantee of our potential performance. Because you may have the potential, but if you forget why you were in the state you were in, it can lead the wrong direction. It can be a disaster. And that's exactly what we see here. So here's a man with great potential, and we see it in our text. But I want you to notice something. There's great peril that comes. 
You see, sometimes we have this idea that, you know, well, if we're at rest, we're going to be in constant rest. And the reality is that just because you're in rest in one season of your life does not mean you will have rest through the rest of the seasons of your life. And so here we see that in verse 8, there's a mighty force that comes against this nation that had built and prospered in verse 7. And Asa had an army. Wow, that's great. Look at this. 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Wow, isn't that great? This is what he had. But the enemy was bigger. Look what it says. It says there in verse 9, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of million men, and 300 chariots. I mean, they're, they're a bit outnumbered, wouldn't you say? And, and by the way, uh, just to give you a time sequence, this is about 10 years into his reign. So he had rest for a while, but not long. And so here he's fighting, fighting this, this mighty force. But how does he face this mighty force? Well, it's interesting how he does face the mighty force. It says, so Asa, verse 10, went out against him, and they set the troops in the battle array in the valley of Zephah at Maresha. And Asa cried to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you and in your name. We go out against this multitude. O oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against us. By the way, he did remember something from his father, didn't he? His father had done a similar thing. He had trusted. He had one of those brilliant you know, flashes of the glory of God. And Asa remembered that. And so here he's facing this huge army against him. And what does he do? He says, we, we can't face it. He says, yeah, I have resources, but it's obvious my resources are not sufficient to face the resources that are against us. And so what does he do? Well, he embraces it as a mighty act of faith. He faced the foe, it tells us in verse 10. He went out against. I don't know about you. If I started doing the numbering, and I turned around and looked at my forces, I say, which way do we get out of here? <laughs> you know? But what does he do? The first thing he does is he faced the foe. The greatest need many times in our lives is to face the foe, not flee from the foe. Too often we flee. And why do we flee? Because we forget. We forget who's on our side. We forget that the Lord is with us. And look at verse 11. He was convinced the battle was the Lord's. I love that statement. He cried out to the Lord. He prayed to God. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, Lord our God. Notice this next phrase. We rest on you 
In your name we go out against this multitude. O Lord our God, do not let man prevail against you. You see, he saw the issue. He said, they are people. You are a sovereign God. And we're not going out people to people. We're going out people of God against the people who are against God. And so here it is. It was, it was clear cut. They're facing this mighty foe, and he embraced this mighty foe with a mighty faith. You see, peace does not mean that we do not have trials. You know, isn't that how he could have interpreted this? He had rest on every side. That's what we just saw. That's because he was, he was doing that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, verse 2. But now, all of a sudden, that rest is disturbed. And a disturbed rest often raises in our minds something's wrong. We're in trouble. What am I going to do? We wring our hands and we start looking for other solutions. And so here we find that he doesn't do that. He recognizes, yeah, I've got a trial. We've got a problem. He says, but I've got to show up. Because I show up because I know God shows up. And I'm trusting him. The question that we sometimes have to ask ourselves is, what do you do when you face a trial? Do you count the cost and say the cost is too high? What happens when you have problems in your married life? Well, you know, it's too, too tough. What happens when it's a trial in your financial life? Well, I, I, you know... I can't handle this. What happens for, to a nation who says, the enemy is so big, we have to negotiate a solution, but not seek God? I was thinking the other day, our currency says in God we trust. I think it's the only place that we trust God is in our currency. Do we trust him anywhere else? Do we trust him as we face foes? I was uh, interested to read, and you have also read, I am sure, because it's ev being written everywhere about different companies that are making decisions on the basis of cultural pressures. And they're trusting that their marketing will deliver them from their problems. Let me tell you, friends, marketing doesn't do anything. Marketing will never solve a problem. Marketing usually creates more problems than they, sol they solve. But I can tell you one thing that will solve the problem. It's turning to the God who can solve the problems. Isn't that exactly what he says there? We rest on you. In your name, we go out against this multitude. You are our God. And then he simply says, don't let male prevent, male, men prevail against me. So where's the trust? Where is this trust that we need to have when our peace is changed and we're facing peril? That brings us to this third point. The third point is great power. I love this because uh, it says in verse 12 the following, 
So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gear. And the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gear, and the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil to them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. Well, great victory. Isn't that what it describes there in verses 12 through 13? Let me, let me highlight some words we've read through because some, we may have missed it. So, the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa. Notice verse 13. They were broken before the Lord. So, who won the victory? The Lord. And they were acknowledging that. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't that what happens when people put their faith where it belongs? I was thinking of parallel passages, and I thought of a parallel passage that is very familiar to you. It's David and Goliath. You know, isn't, isn't that an amazing passage? David said to the Philistine, 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, David was realizing that what was going on here was not just might. Might does not make right. Oh, by the way, that would be good for us to recognize in our culture. But what makes right is God and being a follower of him and his ways. So David is standing there looking at this giant, giant, and he says, I know what you've got, but he says, you don't know what I've got. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Asa is saying the same thing, isn't he? He says, I know what you got. Got a million men, got a lot of stuff, got a lot of people. Got a big army, even got chariots. He says, but I'm coming at you with the name of the Lord. So how are we facing the issues that we face in life? Do we look at the enemy the right way? Do we look and, and describe that we can have a great victory because God is with us? How about in the New Testament, the principle that's given to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 for the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Wow. Do we remember those things? Or do we figure we got to slug this out? Or do we go into ungodly ways? You know, I've uh, seen recently where people were confronted with a huge, huge issue looks insurmountable. And so what happens in that case? People see this. They, they see this giant. They see this, this force against them. So what do they do? Well, they do what a lot of people do. 
they decide to fix blame, not fix the problem. No, it's, it's this problem, and it's that problem, and it's that problem. They're the problem. This is the problem. And they keep pointing at the problem. And the Lord is saying, uh, I'm the solution. Is anybody looking to the solution? Or are we looking to the problem? Are we looking to see someone to blame? You know, I, I do work in a number of different things. And I said to my wife, I'm not exactly sure why this is happening to me. You know, I'm on boards, a number of boards, and they're all facing similar problems. I'm working with churches. And all you have to do is change the name of the, on the sign or the bulletin. Same problems. But are we looking to the Lord? Are we looking for him for victory? Or are we just wringing our hands and saying this can't be handled? Well, this brings us to this great reward. Do you see it? There was a great victory, great reward. And I believe that that's the way God works. He wants to reward us according to his ways. And it will happen as we follow his ways. And this brings us to a, a fourth point. And the fourth point is this. There was great progress. And the great progress is described in chapter 15. It's based upon a great assurance because after this happens, all of a sudden, another prophet comes. The Spirit of God comes upon Azariah, the son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Wow. Oh, I guess that sets the condition. Are you with God? Good. He's with you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This is a foreshadowing of a lesson that Ace is going to need to learn and put into practice, and he doesn't do it. He forgets this prophet's words. It says, and then he goes on and it says, For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without teaching, a teaching priest and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there, were no, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants. So the nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them on, with ad, great adversity. But you, Asa, you, you that just have won this great battle, you that have just defeated this overwhelming force, but you, be strong in your forces. That's not what it says. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. What was that connected to? The Lord is with you, verse 2, while you are with him. Isn't that a great promise in verse 2? The Lord is with you while you're with him. And then he gives an example. He says, look at your nation. Look at what has happened. Look what has transpired. Look at the history where the people of God ignored the Lord. What happened? Then exactly what has been said there in verse 2. Then if you do forsake him, he will forsake you. He says, history has pointed this out. And so here's the challenge, verse 7. There's a promise, the example, the challenge. challenge. But you... 
Be strong. Be strong. Do not let your hands be weak. The Hebrew word there, uh, kazak, means to prevail, be firm, be caught fast, be secure, be stout, be rigid, be strengthened. He says, stand firm in the Lord. What a great truth. It, it reminds me, doesn't it, when we read that passage in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6, where it's talking about the armor of God. Do you remember what it says in verse 10? It says, in conclusion, it says, be strong in the Lord. And by the way, I'm reading from the Amplified. Be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. And in the power of His boundless might. Where's our strength lie? In our wisdom? In our plans? In our supposed power? In our authority? There are many, many ministries in the United States that have forgotten this principle. And the principle is this, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So what does he do? He follows through on that. And as a result of that, it continued his purge of ungodliness in the nation. You see it in verse 8 and 16 to 17. The activities that are described in those verses, he destroyed the idols, he restored um, the altar of the Lord, he discharged the ungodly persons in his administration. He not only did that, but he restored worship. In verses 9 through 11, you see this. He restores the sacrifices. And then he comes along and he renews a covenant with God in verses 12 through 15. It says, they entered into covenant to seek the Lord, verse 12, their, their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. In other words, they're saying, okay, we're all in. This is what the prophet has told us. You are, he's with you if you will seek him. Okay, we're all in. We're going to be with him. We're going to be doing this. So the pro progress doesn't mean necessarily that there's going to be lasting impact. And it doesn't sound great. A revival. Do you know how many revivals there have been in the United States since its founding? A great number. Uh, you know, do you remember just months ago there was a revival in Asbury? Do you remember that? Is there a revival in Asbury still going on? Not according to some of the students that I've talked to from Asbury. You see, the problem is that we can get excited about what God has done and the great victory he has won, and then we make great commitments, I'm never going to do this again, blah, blah, blah. And we go on and on and make all these grand statements, and the question is, you know, do we trust the Lord with all our heart? Do we trust him? Are we still trusting him? Progress doesn't mean lasting impact. The last uh, thing I want you to see today is this. A great problem arises. Here's where the forgetfulness comes in. You know, great forgetfulness many times creates great foolishness. You see it in chapter 16, <clears throat> verses 1 through 14. He faced another attack. By the way, this is about... The 36th year of Asa's reign. 
So there's been a little distance in there. Isn't it interesting how distance can sometimes cause our memories to fade? And so he faced an attack, and he depended upon human wisdom. It tells us in verses 2 and 3, when they came up against Judah, it says, Then Asa sought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and sent it to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And he says, let's make a treaty, verse 3, between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. Hey, how did it work out for your father? See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his army against the cities of Israel, and they attacked. And it says, Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. And King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah. And Bashan had used for building with them, and he built Giba and Mizvah. Interesting, isn't it? What did he do? He, he relied upon human wisdom. He sought serious help. And by the way, verses 4 through 6 appeared like his strategy worked. I, I wonder if Asa's going, took care of that one. No problem. You know? It, it, diversion tap, tactic. You know, get somebody on our side, attack, and they have to, you know, remove their forces and attack somewhere else. Sounds like what's going on in our world today, doesn't it? So it appeared that his strategy worked, but he was confronted with his failure. These are stark verses, verses 7 and following. He says there, At that time, Haniah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied upon the king of Syria and have not relied upon the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And then he goes back and he says, let me remind you. He says, were the, Ethi the Ethiopians and Libam not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied upon the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And then he gives this tremendous principle there in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself that he is strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have many wars. He said, you forgot? The result of your forgetfulness was you made a foolish decision. You didn't trust what I could do. You forgot all that God had done in the past. And the result is horrendous. So he faced an attack, but, you know, that's not the whole story. It goes into his personal life. Because when you get into chapter 16 a little bit further, you see in verse 12 that uh, it says, even when he heard this, let me go back to verse 10. Then Asa was, was angry with the seer and put him in prison. <laughs> you know, if you don't like what God says, lock him up. Ignore him. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the time. And then he faces not just a national problem, but now he faces a, a, an individual problem. 
and he faced illness. And it talks about this illness that he faced approximately three years later, by the way. And in verse 12, it talks about it. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, notice this, he did not seek the Lord, but physicians. Huh. Oh, I thought that promise back there. If you seek him, chapter 15, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Asa's saying, essentially, I'm not listening to a prophet. I'm listening to a physician. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have physicians. But what I am saying is you shouldn't just push off God when he is giving you direction. So he faced illness. But notice the result of that illness, what happens there. It says, his malady was severe, yet in his disease. He did not seek the Lord. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in his 41st year of his reign. Great problem, isn't it? Plans do not necessarily produce blessings unless they're God's plans. As Asa aged, he did not get smarter. He became forgetful. He became foolish. Forgetfulness often leads to foolishness. And that's exactly what happened in his life. When we forget what God has done, we're apt to be foolish and rely upon ourselves. All of a sudden, our wisdom is elevated and God's wisdom is diminished in our lives. God wants us, no matter our age, to understand this significant principle. And it's very clear there in verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So as the Lord is running to and fro in Lancaster County, in Calvary Monument Bible Church, what is he seeing? Is he seeing that there are loyal hearts loyal to him? Let me conclude by asking some questions, and those questions I also put in your sermon notes to reflect upon later. But what are you relying upon in life? Do we believe that the eye of the Lord is always looking for people that he may use as a canvas to display his grace and power? You know, Asa was showing to the world that God is powerful. You know, this is the same principle that Paul had discovered in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you are weak, it's not time to run away from the Lord. It's time to embrace Him. It's time to trust Him. It's, it's the time to show yourself loyal to Him. And in those times, He shows Himself strong on behalf of those who trust Him. And the last question is this. Do you think that our wisdom and solutions are better than God's? I think Asa did. Because he forgot. And when he forgot, 
he made some foolish decisions. I think of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will, he will, not he might, he will direct your paths. I think of uh, a lot of students that are graduated here in Lancaster County. I've got a granddaughter who's about to graduate in upstate New York in a couple of weeks, and um, I have probably said that verse to her because she probably thinks, well, Grandpa's already senile anyway, but because I keep saying the same verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. She was wanting to know, you know where she should go to college. I said, well, I think, and I gave her some advice, and I said, but, you know, ultimately, don't take my advice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding, and I gave her that verse. Then, and then she got down the other week, and she said, well, I, Grandpa, I have to make a decision by May the 1st as to where I'm going to go to college, where I've been offered scholarships. And she said, I don't know where to go. Do I go to John Hopkins or do I go to uh, Vanderbilt? I just don't know. And I said, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You know why I told her that? Is she, is she's a smart cookie. But that's not going to carry her. What's going to carry her is the Lord. And that's true for you. It's not an issue of human wisdom. It's, a, it's an issue of, do you remember what God has done? If God has saved you, if God has allowed his son to die for you, don't you think he can take care of the rest of life? The answer is yes. Now, some of you here today, and you say, I, well, I can't answer that because I never really trusted Christ. Well, today ought to be that day. If not, you're going to be foolish too. You're going to be like Asa. And you're going to forget all the things that God has provided for you to lead you to him. The word of God, the spirit of God, his wooing. And I'm telling you, today ought to be that day of making a decision for him. You're here and you're a believer. Don't be foolish. Don't follow your foolish ways. Follow him. He looks for those who are loyal to you. And you know what? He's looking hard. He runs to and fro. That's quite an interesting expression. And he's looking for those whose heart is loyal to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... <clears throat> You have given us the Word of God, and the Word of God has instructed us through an illustration from Asa's life that we need to follow you, and we need to follow you and not be foolish, but to remember what you've done. You've saved us. Those here that have trusted in Christ, you've saved us. And Lord, if you've begun a good work in us, the Scripture tells us you will perform it until the day of Christ. We can trust that. It may be through hard times. It may be facing big enemies. But the Lord is the one that we can rely upon. And then there's others here today that don't know you as their Savior. And I pray that today would be that day of opportunity. That they would come to acknowledge that they are a sinner. And they are facing a huge enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they can only survive if they put their faith and trust in Christ. And I pray that today they would trust in what Christ has done on the cross, be fully committed to him, and allow Christ to save them. He's died for them. 
now would they accept him by faith? If there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ, would today be that day where they turn away from foolishness and turn to God in faith, trusting what Christ has done on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, so that they might have new life and that they might have it more abundantly. So, Lord, work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.